the second. So there you go, smarty bit. Okay, anyways, welcome to Hip and Humble. I'm Aram. And I'm Mom. <laughs> irritated with Aram. I'm going to quit doing that. Don't be mean to me. I'm not being mean to you. This is like parental abuse. It's not parental abuse. I feel it is. I Okay, well, I guess I can't deny your feelings. <laughs> oh, Wow. That's so that's how that's how we're starting. Anyways, we are sponsored by we are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques LLC with two locations, one in Bethany, Oklahoma, just outside of Oklahoma City in Bethany at Rink Gallery, and another one in downtown Fredericksburg, Virginia at Oldies But Goodies. We are also supported by the WGSNDB Going Solo Network, a fantastic resource for singles and everyone else alike with wonderful creators artists, and content providers with multiple shows and a nationally broadcast online radio network. Also, all right, so we have been doing a series on baseball cards. Yes, we have. And there's a lot, a lot of stuff to talk about with baseball cards. Aram can talk for days. Well, obviously, I have a podcast. Yeah, I know. I'm aware he uses his podcast something sometimes for evil too. Uh, do I? Yeah, like making fun of your mom. Before I don't make. When have I, when have I made fun of you? Today. Name seven times. Today. Yeah, Today. Yeah. Name seven times. Like just before, whenever you're being mean to me. I w- I was not being mean to you. <laughs> I was not. Better talk to you, baseball boy. Oh my goodness. So last week we left off and we were talking about. Just after the conglomeration of the tobacco companies put a lull in baseball card production, uh, whenever they regulatory, whenever they were regulated to basically break up the monopoly that the American Tobacco Trust or the Tobacco Trust, the American Tobacco Company had, uh, which stunted the baseball card production because obviously they didn't need to advertise. They didn't need to advertise through baseball cards when they had monopoly. True. So the set right after that we talked about was the T two zero six set with arguably one of the most one of the most valuable uh, cards or at least tobacco cards um, that baseball cards have to offer. Right. So aside from the T two zero six set and other tobacco cards released during this era, other popular issues from the earlier earlier parts of the nineteen hundreds include the nineteen fourteen and nineteen fifteen. Cracker Jack cards. There you go. So, and th- this, this kind of cards also, it's AKA the E145 set and the E90, E91 American caramel cards issued from 1909 to 1911. So these types of baseball cards were really cool. So in the quote unquote golden age of baseball cards, whenever it was solely tobacco cards, kids would ra- wait around their parents to, to go you know, the parents would go buy the tobacco and they would beg them to buy specific tobacco brands <laughs> so that they could get these baseball cards. And so obviously this is sounding a whole lot like the McDonald's thing. We were talking yeah, about. exactly. It sounds exactly. I, need, I it, need it. I need it. I need the don't Pokemon. care if I eat it. I just want it. Oh, it's like, I don't even, I don't even just like McDonald's. I just toy. want And yeah, sorry to McDonald's. I'm not, uh, I don't want a lawsuit or anything. It's just personally not my favorite food. Great tea. Great tea though. Fantastic tea. Absolutely great tea. Fantastic tea. Uh, Need to bring back those styrofoam cups. Yeah, yeah. Also depends on the location. You notice that? Oh, definitely. 100%. Yeah. A lot of those restaurants, a lot of restaurants are that way. It depends on the location. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyways, so around 
the around the time of the E145 E90 E90 E91 set between 1909 1911 1914 1915 for the Cracker Jack cards the other companies figured out that kids really wanted these cards and so they took advantage of that and Cracker Jack was one of the first ones and the Caramel cards were another so there were quite a few different sets available from this era whether it be the ones issued with tobacco. The e, e series are ones issued with candy and gum. And baked, the ones issued with baked goods are D cards. And then magazines, M cards, and so on and so forth. We talked about that last and week. And arcade cards, too. Arcade cards? Mm-hmm. Arcade cards are penny cards. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Yep. That so they would, you know, win at the win and trade and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they did that later in life with the Cowboys. Yeah. So cowboy uh, movie stars and stuff. That's right. Yeah, a lot, a lot of so and baseball cards and this particular form of advertising sparked so many other types of cards. I know we talked uh, we talked last week about the world's strongest man cards and and different and other different card animal they, cards uh, yeah, and so and they, on. They bled into the movie stars. They bled into movie stars. Mm-hmm. They bled into obviously other sports. I mean, sure. there's nowadays you have hockey cards, you have soccer cards, football cards. But I mean, uh, things that people are interested in, I came across and we have um, upstairs, we have a Lionel train card. Yes, we have Lionel train cards. We also have Those are really neat. We also have historic American historical figures cards. Yeah. Like yep. the like like Roosevelt and Taft and Andrew Carnegie and all this. They have collectible cards for all historical. But even as far as uh, Desert Storm. Yeah. I've got a box of Desert Storm cards up there, which I was just shocked beyond belief that they had your dad's airplane in there. Yeah. It is the first time I have ever found any kind of commercial product with your dad's airplane on it. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Your dad's plane was a reconnaissance plane. Well, yeah, and they had most of the, well, I think all the stats were wrong on it, but you know. Well, whatever. yeah. But it's the first time I'd ever found anything, so I, I was excited. No, but, but what we're saying is the, this type of advertising has, has taken a, such a foothold in American culture. Definitely. You know, it, it has bled into so many other facets of our culture and, it, and it's, it's become such an interesting way to commemorate and immortalize all these different areas of society, culture, and so on. You know, having a little tiny card with something that you like and statistics on the back about it, it it's, uh, it, it, it allows Sometimes for a level of nostalgia. Yeah, and well, and it makes you be feel like you were part of the event. Exactly. So. It will, and it's a it's a little it's a constant little reminder of it. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like a bookmark. You know, like you have a favorite bookmark. Or what we used to do is buy postcards. Yeah. So when you traveled somewhere or something happened special at this certain place or whatever, instead of a lot of people couldn't do cameras because mm-hmm. um, it was expensive. So mm-hmm. they buy postcards. Yeah. And so I kind of look at some of that kind of like the postcards. So the uh, baseball cards and collectible cards are the postcards of history. Yeah, that'd be a good way to say. Yeah. Yeah. So popular, uh, so we were talking uh, about the different types of cards sold with, sold with different goods to advertise, uh, advertise other goods. So popular players of the time include the uh, obvious names such as Ty Cobb, Honus Wagner, which of course is the, the very famous card that we talked about last week, popular, uh, Walter Johnson, Christy Mathewson, and Cy Young. 
Of course, these all-time grades demanded a premium in some of the more well-known sets, although the low-grade versions can sometimes be found for a more reasonable price. With the American involvement of World War in World War I between 1914 and 1918, most tobacco card production was grounded, mostly due to the lack of availability of materials, because pretty much all of the major corporations during that time period were being used to make materials for the war. Right, right. So other candy and gum cards, e-cards, which, side note on that, any... Any kind of any any memorabilia advertisement or anything of the like between 19 and 14 and 1918 is extremely valuable because there was so few or so little of it actually made. Any kind of entertainment value, any toys from that period, they they they're almost not they're very hard to find and they're very rare because the majority of even things that were already produced by that period a lot of people you know people in the US were were asked to bring their metal toys in so that they could be melted down and made into ammunition right you know yeah. so a lot of the a lot of the things produced in, almost all the things produced in that era and even things produced before that era were converted to you know, war materials because of that war. Because if you guys know your history, World War One was supposed to be the war to end all wars. That's what it was advertised and marketed it as. And, you know, the campaign, the the propaganda campaign that they did, you know, both sides did, the Allies and Axis did to propel that national spirit and the national that focus uh of that unity unity yeah that unity of country to kind of fight against a singular cause it, it was an incredible feat in human history yeah well they wanted to bring everybody together right so kind of on one page to yeah for for a american patriotism right and that that and obviously world war 2 uh, you know, they weren't planning on it. <laughs> Nobody was planning on World War, World War Two, and and that we could go into a whole nother thing. Uh, go into it a little tiny bit. We won't. We, <laughs> a little bit. A little tiny bit. Uh-huh. So after after the at the end of World War One, Germany uh, obviously lost, and they were made to pay back reparations, and that caused for massive inflation, which is a whole nother topic, but. They also were allowed to keep their guns. They were allowed to keep their military. Mm-hmm. And that is one of the reasons that they rose back into power so quickly and they were able to recover so quickly because basically the, the, whenever they lost the war, the other country, the other countries just said, okay, just pay us for everything that you did. They said, okay, pay you with money. Cool. We'll just print it. Here you go. <laughs> and so here's some pretty paper. Yeah. Here's some paper for you. And so whenever they did that, obviously the value of their paper went down to nothing. Right. Because if they you didn't ha- have anything to back it, they had, yeah, they didn't have anything to back it. It wasn't like they were giving them gold or silver or anything like that no. right nope they were not <laughs> yeah but anyways moving past that to the roaring moving but behind that but past what we were talking about before to the roaring 30s following following the great depression many owners feared that they would have trouble drawing fans to the games and these are the club owners given the significant impact the stock market crash had on overall economic and psychological well-being and they were right in the seasons of 1931 and 1932 gate levels plunged 70% from the figures in 1930 because nobody could afford nobody it. could afford it 
I mean, it, there were no jobs. There were no jobs. The, I mean, the Great Depression was the Great Depression for a reason. Yep, that's oh. true. Owners began to provide giveaways to fans, including introducing nighttime baseball, started widespread radio broadcasting, and introducing an all-star game. These changes appeared to reinvigorate the game in, in, as Americans grasped onto what they considered to be one of the irreplaceable joys in life, baseball. And if you think about it from that perspective, too, I mean, that was one of the few joys in that time was to be able to, to be able to take your mind off of the fact that, you know, your family's water and heat and everything is getting cut off in the middle of winter in New York. Right. And you don't have a way to make more money for that, to pay the company, you know, to, sure. to, sh- to turn that back on. But, you know, you still have electricity and you still get to listen to the baseball game. You know, you got two kids that don't or, understand what's going on and they're, but they're happy. Or they would go to stores or, you know, kind of more communal areas. Areas. Yeah. So. Right. Or restaurants or, you know, diners and so on would be playing the games because, you know, that was a monolithic thing. Right. Yeah, they, in modern times, so most people know about Game of Thrones. My wife is a huge, huge Game of Thrones fan. I, uh, have watched some of it. it um, and I won't say more because my wife is a huge, huge fan. And that part of culture, they described it as a monolith, especially the last season, because the ratings and the amount of people around the world that were watching that last season was uh, incredible. I mean, it was the most amount of people watching the same thing at the same time of anything in history for a considerable period of time. Wow. Well, baseball back then was like that constantly. So every single game that was on, the majority of the country was listening to that game. Right. You know, and that, so that, that in and of itself became a monolith of American culture. Right. And that, that's why baseball cards and the memorabilia and so on that has accompanied baseball throughout history is such a nostalgic and an incredible reminder of American culture and what so we've gone meaning, through. So much more meaning. Absolutely. Than other things. Oh, for sure. Definitely. So the the so whenever they introduced the All Star Game during this time, so these changes appear to reinvigorate the games as Americans grasp onto what they what they consider to be one of the irreplaceable joys in life, and it didn't hurt to have the support of names like Babe Ruth. So yeah, at this time that they had Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Ted Williams, and all these guys to help draw folks into the games because obviously, like like we talked about a couple weeks ago at the beginning of this series. Well, Babe Ruth and, and Lou Gehrig and these guys, they were, they were lovers of the game. Yeah. Uh, you know, they played because they were good at playing. You know, they, they obviously, they made money from advertisements from the tobacco companies and the toy companies, the gum companies, the bakeries at this point. So they, at this point, did have some level of endorsement, but it wasn't as individual endorsement as it is today. A lot of those were paying, a lot of those companies were paying the team or paying the club. Right. And the club was distributing to each player based on, you know, what, based on what they were bringing, you know, how many people they were bringing to the game and so on and so forth. So they were looking, and I think a lot of people were looking more at actual talent, right? You know, now, nowadays I think you have kind of a divide between talent versus, um, 
marketing. Yeah, no, that, that's true. And also, if you guys if you guys haven't seen Moneyball, it's a it's an interesting film. It's a it's a real life depiction of something that changed the game of baseball in um, modern times. And I think it was a really, it was a, it was a really, really cool film. Brad Pitt is the star of it. He plays the manager that made the move to basically change the way that the recruiting process happens in major league baseball nowadays. And a lot of teams have adopted, or most teams have adopted that style of recruitment. But to the, at the, up to this point in history and a lot, and now a lot of times it is more for the style of recruitment that they use now versus in the period of history before it, where it had more gone to a politicized, a more politicized and, uh, I guess aesthetic way of looking at it because they, they look for players based on, you know, their looks and what they could bring in and how they, you know, if they stayed, stayed tradition, stayed to traditional styles of baseball and so on. Anyways, but if you guys want to learn more about that kind of topic, I would definitely recommend watching Moneyball or, uh, or re- doing some research on your own because it, it is a really interesting topic. And that's one of the other things about baseball cards and baseball as a cultural monolith that I enjoy is because there's so much history in it and a lot of baseball in it has influenced so much of American culture. It, it's all intertwined. Yeah. It, it's kind of like a big tapestry. Right. There's a lot of tapestry and we're just looking at one thread yes. of that tapestry. There, there's just, there's a lot of threads and they're all interwoven, but right. you know, we're just looking at one thread. I mean, yeah. And, and I, and my hope really throughout this series is that, you know, we're pulling on this thread. If this thread will, unravel into something that makes you want to pull on a couple of the, those other threads. That's, Absolutely. That's my hope because, you know, this topic, yeah, this topic and it's concurrent, it's concurrence with American history and culture it is irreplaceable. You know, I, I think that if you get into this style of style of history, it's one, it's a really fun way to get into history, but it's also, it's an incredible way to kind of connect yourself to the culture and kind of seeing not just the names of people in history and the events in history, but kind of seeing how people have evolved. Yeah. You yeah. Know, and how concepts have evolved. Yeah. You know, and I think understanding how concepts and people have evolved, it kind of gives, it gives you a clearer picture on on us today, because if you're gonna, if you if you look if you look at the past, like I've said before, no matter how many times you look at the past, it will never change. But you can look at the past. If you look at the past enough, you will understand what to change today in order to make a better present and future. Okay. It. But anyways, before we got off on that, we were talking about Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, and Ted Williams and their draw. So they, they obviously brought but they obviously put butts in seats. And with this newfound love of the game, a new concept was introduced. So instead of just having one card, they had a pack of cards sold along with pieces of gum, targeted mainly at the youth in America. This issue from the Gowdy Gum in 1933 is considered to be one of the most popular vintage baseball card issues in history. Wow. Cards from the inaugural Gowdy Gum issue in 1933 feature wonderful color portraits and a 200 and at 240 cards is the largest set 
issued by Gowdy. Wow. The set is basically a who's who of major league hall of famers featuring cards from Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Jimmy Fox, Napoleon LaHoy as evidence of just how popular the babe was at the time. The 33 Gowdy from R319 set actually features four cards of Babe Ruth, number 53, number 144, number 149 and number 188. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. And if you got a Gowdy baseball card signed by the babe, that is one of the most valuable cards. You know, especially if it's above an eight in on the on the grading scale of condition. It's one of the most valuable cards in history. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally amazing. According to the PSA, so the number 53 Babe Ruth car, that's the one with the yellow background, is the hardest to come across. Followed by number 149, that's the one with the red red background. Card number 144, aka the full body roof, so those other cards, baseball cards had different styles of photos, and some of them have a head shot or a head and shoulders shot, and some of them have a full shot or an action shot of the player. And the card 144 is the full body roof, so that obviously is the full body shot of Babe Ruth. That was double printed and is more widely available. Aside from Ruth, one of the granddaddies of the set is the Napoleon LaHoy card, which is considered to be one of the rarest and most sought after of this era. And we're going to talk more about that set after we come back. Okie dokie. Hi, my name is Kaylin, and I'm the host of a new podcast called Tea Time Thoughts. Do you ever wish you could learn more about history, books, music, art, and culture, but you just don't know where to start? I totally feel your pain. Learning about all these things can be so overwhelming. Well, I want to change all of that for you. In my podcast, Tea Time Thoughts, I'll show you just how fun it all can be. In the time it takes to have a cup of tea, I'm going to teach you everything from the French Revolution to the Black Plague, Mozart to Broadway musicals, Da Vinci to Robert Frost, Ancient Egypt to Queen Elizabeth II, and more. You can stream Tea Time Thoughts wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. So what are you waiting for? Put the kettle on and listen to Tea Time Thoughts today. Welcome back. Welcome back to Hip and humble. I'm still Aram. And I'm still mom. And we are still talking about baseball cards. Yes, we are. And I'm sorry if you guys are getting sick of it, but I love it. <laughs> take me out to the ballpark. Yep. You know that song? Yeah. Take me out, out to, to the, the game. game. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if, if we I ever, ever come, come back. back. So root, 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 root for the home team. They don't win. It's a shame. Because there's one, two, Three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. Dum, 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 dum. Yeah. And we are supported by Hip and Humble Antiques LLC. If you guys are not following us on Instagram, it's okay. I'm a little hurt, but I'll get over it. Um, but please follow us. He really won't. I won't. I'm hurt. H-I-P-N dot Humble. Please follow us. H-I-P-N dot Humble at or excuse me, on Instagram. Also, if you really like what we're doing, please consider leaving us a tip on Patreon. Patreon.com slash hip and humble. No tip is too small or too large. And we are always grateful for everything you give us and anything you put into us, we will put back into the show for you. Absolutely. We are also supported by the WGSN DB Going Solo Network. This network is a wonderful resource and it is full of wonderful content creators, artists, and it is nationally available as an online radio network, live radio network, I should say. Although our show is not live. No. Uh-uh. No. No, it's not. No. Because then y'all go, oh my goodness, Aram. <laughs> <laughs> That's what they would do. 
Yes. I don't think so. I think so. Well, that's sweet. <laughs> I love my Aram. Mm. My Aram is a sweetheart. Well, I'm not very sweet, but see, I sit there and give him give him crap, and he says, <laughs> "Mom, mom," and then I say the truth, how sweet he is. No, I'm not that sweet. I'm not. Well, I, pre- I Can't appreciate have it ways, it. little boy. I appreciate the compliment. Thank you. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. That sounds a little snarky, but okay. <clears throat> oh, look, his face matches the snarky. Okay. <laughs> I feel indignant at this, uh, this accusation you are throwing my way. I wish, you know, we ought to do this where they can see us, because then they would know. I've been telling you, so folks, I've been trying to get her to record this show for quite a while, because I know for a fact that you guys would love to see this. And as soon as we start right recording, as soon as we start recording, we'll put it up on YouTube. And it, it's it's a coming. I promise it is. We just we're just trying to find the right setup, and we got to get get this kind of cleaned up down here. You know what? I'm just the one person. But we're working on it. We're working on it. Coming soon to a YouTube screen near you is Hip and Humble Anti or Hip and Humble Podcast. Yes, but. Anyways, before we before we came back or before we left on this break, we were talking about the Gaudi Gum set of cards and the different types of cards in that set and their rarity and value. So in this set, obviously at that time, we also talked about how popular Babe Ruth or the Babe was and how many cards in the set were dedicated just to him. But aside from Ruth, uh, one of the granddaddies of the set, the, the Napoleon La Jolla card, which is considered to be one of the rarest and most sought after of this era, La Jolla was not initially included in the set and due to an outcry from fans, later was produced in 1934. But only those who sent a letter to Gaudi could receive the card. Really? Yeah. So that's what you, you got to call. You got to write in. Yeah. Well, you can't now. That was in 1934. I know, but I'm just saying for, you know, other things. It's always good to let those manufacturers know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that that's true. Even nowadays, I mean, nobody likes to pick up at the phone and call them anymore, but that is a fantastic resource. If you have the skills and the, um, I guess, courage at this point to just pick, yeah. just pick up the phone and call somebody, you're going to get a lot done. That's true. Very, you very know, true. At this point... I mean, obviously I talk a lot and I don't really have a problem talking to anybody. And it's funny because my, my wife is very, very shy and she's not, she does not like talking on the phone at all. I mean, if she could cut off her left pinky finger or cut on the, or talk on the phone, she would probably choose to cut off her left pinky finger. Probably. I mean, it'd be a toss up. It'd be a real toss up. So anytime I pick up the phone to call somebody, she's just amazed. And, you know, so I'll be like, she, she, well, I'll need to make an appointment or, or something very basic or at least what to me would seem basic. And she'll go, Oh, Hey, can you do this for me? And I'll go, okay. And then pick up the phone, look at the number and call it within five seconds. And she's just like, what do you mean? What are you doing? You know, it's, it's, it, you're going to interrupt something. And I'm like, no. What am I going to interrupt? What am they I going to interrupt? The number. Like they, they have a phone. They have a phone number for a reason. If they don't answer, I leave a message. They call me back. That's how phone works. <laughs> but that's why I like text. And there's some people out there. It's like you text them. Oh my gosh, I couldn't believe you texted. And I was right in the middle of doing whatever. And I'm like, so text when you have time. Yeah, it's if you it's receive the a beauty of text. Yeah, if you receive a text message, you don't have to open your phone immediately every time that it buzzes or rings. Also, please put it on vibrate, people. 
I'm sorry, but it is 2021. If you cannot feel your phone vibrate, there is something wrong with you. <laughs> yeah. And I know, and uh, I, I won't, I won't, I won't go on that diatribe, but I will say, please put it on vibrate, especially in public. Mine's always on vibrate. Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, you know what? You just told folks to put it on vibrate so all the other people can put it on vibrate but me. No, you definitely need to have it on vibrate. You just need it, you know, on you. It's on me most of the time. Yeah, that's not most it's, of the time. It's close. <laughs> Does it count? Sure it does. No. It's not my fault. I got a life and I can do other things. I have I a life have too, to, obviously. I, I just keep my, my phone on me. I don't have to have my phone on me. You just, you just need pockets. That's all you need. Well, sometimes I got them. Sometimes I don't. Yeah, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Okay. But anyways. I make fun of my clothing choices. I didn't make fun of your clothing choices. I said fair enough, didn't I? <laughs> anyway. Yeah, with an eye roll. I, well, there was no eye roll. I felt it. According to the PSA, there are less than a hundred of the La Jolla cards that have been submitted for grading. And if you're lucky to have one sitting around, it is worth a pretty penny. So something graded a PSA nine that one of those La Jolla sold for $144,000. Holy crap. At the end of 2017. Wow. Wow. So in 1934, the Gaudi produced a smaller set with only 96 cards, which featured the rookie card of Hank Greenberg. Okay. But oddly enough, featured no Babe Ruth cards. Remember, he had four cards in the previous year's sets. So, which obviously also kind of, it makes those cards more rare and valuable because he was still playing at that time, but didn't have sets, he didn't have cards in the next set. Wonder why. Yeah, I don't know. The cards featured a unique tagline on the front of each card, which notes, Lou Gehrig says, in, 80, in the 84 of the 96 cards of the set, the remaining 12 cards are tagged with a red Chuck Klein says border. Mm. So. What does that mean? So it's just, uh, it, in some of the previous, uh, or some of the previous parts of the series we talked about, there was an iconic card set that had a white border and that was called the white bordered set of the tobacco card era. Right. So once we got past the tobacco card era, most of the baseball cards had a, had a border. Yeah. You know, they'd have either white border, red border, blah, blah, blah. Well, these had kind of a pinstripe border and then in, in the pinstriping border, it, it, for 84 of the 96 cards, they said Lou Gehrig says in that pinstriping. And then in the others, it had red, then it had Chuck Klein says, and those are just two different baseball players. And they, they were some of the most prolific of the players in that set. So now after this era came the tops monopoly. Tops baseball cards. Mm -hmm. And this is where a lot of my collection comes into play. So a lot of my collection are the Fleer and the Tops baseball card sets because that was what was available. Yeah, that was what was available. And also those, those are when cards really started becoming what you think of whenever you think of a baseball card. Because if you look at these tobacco cards and stuff like that, they, they became a, there became a standard size for them, but before that, like the original tobacco cards and things like that, they didn't have a traditional size. So you'd have like really small, tiny cards, you'd have like really long skinny cards, and so you just had a lot of different sizes, but the specific baseball card, the iconic baseball card 
size or sports card size that you see today is something that was really solidified in the Topps Monopoly era. So the Topps Gum Company tiptoed into the baseball card business officially in 1951 with its red backs and blue back sets of cards. The cards were designed to look like a playing card and were meant to be played as a baseball-themed card game. The cards, re- the cards really never caught on, and Topps decided to move in a completely different direction the following year. In the autumn of 1951, a young Topps employee named Cy Berger designed the 1952 Topps baseball card set on the kitchen table of his apartment in Brooklyn using cardboard and scissors. Berger, now a legend in the collectible space, was an employee of Topps for 50 years and is considered to be one of the most influential figures of the hobby. Wow. Yeah, Berger was even honored by the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1988, which credited Berger with the development of modern baseball trading card and honored him for helping to introduce generations of fans to baseball for more than half a century. That's amazing. Yeah, that, that dedication and the creativity that he had was, it really did solidify baseball trading cards and trading cards alike as a pillar of American society. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, he helped to make baseball the pillar of American society that is, you know, to make it become, to solidify it as America's pastime. Right. So the 52 top, 1952 top set is a thing of beauty, an iconic design which started that would become the standard format for the modern baseball card. Although the size of the 1952 set was still on the larger size, the 1957 set would mark the official start of the two and a half by three and a half inch size, the standard for today. The card created by Berger was ground, was a groundbreaking feat. His design included a player's autograph taken from their tops contract. The team name and logo on the front, and the player's height, weight, statistics, and short biography on the back. The 1952 set was issued in six different series and Topps design releases so that most of the big stars weren't released until later in the series, which was really cool. So, obviously, back then, you buy a pack of gum, uh, but obviously, to a certain point, it's it's it was like one piece of gum with... 20 cards. 20 cards yeah. So it was just, you'd buy a piece of gum with 20 baseball cards and then eventually they just got rid of the gum. So, yeah. So you're buying, you buy, buy a set of cards and if you go, you, the way baseball card, trading card work, work, cards work is they would put some of the less popular players in and they would kind of introduce the different cards and you, know, you get your manager cards, you get your whole team cards and some of the less popular players towards the beginning of the season. And then towards the end of the season, they would start putting the, uh, the more popular, the big, the big names in so that you would continually buy cards throughout the season. Right. Cause if you got your favorite player at the beginning of the season, then you got your favorite card. So you don't need to keep buying cards. It's true. But if you have to, wait and continue to buy different packs of cards and every single pack of cards is random, then you know, you continually buy cards throughout the season hoping, just hoping that you're gonna get your card. Right. Hoping that you're gonna get the babe or hoping you're gonna get the Garrick or so on and so forth. All right. Mm-hmm. That's pretty smart. Oh absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it, you know, it makes it fun. Oh yeah. Makes yeah. it fun. You know. Yeah, definitely. And you do get introduced to, you know, like you said, less known players. Right. 
Right. And you get to see their statistics and, uh, you know, as, as they evolved, you get to see their statistics. You get a little backstory, little quotes from them. So you really get to know the players and know the game and know their game. Right. Right. Cause the little known players are, you know, the big players at the next day. So yeah. Well, absolutely. I mean, and you know, just because, just because they're not a big name doesn't mean they didn't make it to major league baseball. That's right. You know, those guys, sure. those guys work hard to those, all those guys work just as hard. Yeah. You That's know. true. Very so, true. The 1952 set was issued in six different series and the top design releases so that most of the big stars weren't released until later. So like we said, the later series cards were produced, produced in much smaller quantities due to the fact that the later series runs coincided with football season and kids heading back to school. So to compound this scarcity, Berger has admitted to dumping thousands of cards into the Atlantic Ocean. Ah, test, test. Yeah. Yep. So not good for shame, for shame. But you know that definitely made those cards more valuable. <laughs> yep, you are right. Yeah, that is true. So Tops at this point pretty much had a monopoly on the baseball card game because their cards were the cards. You right, know? those were the ones you wanted. You didn't want a different. You didn't want anything other than a Tops baseball card because these were the baseball cards. The best of the best. The best of the best. And other companies, other companies started, you know, wanting a piece of that action because they had basically taken over all of the revenue that all of these baseball cards were bringing in for all these different con- companies. Right. So Bowman, so Tops and Bowman, another company, battled it out for several years. And when I say battled out, they, they did it in court. <laughs> so the two companies fought over exclusive pair, player contractual rights. Wow. Yeah, because at this point, Tops had the number one contract spot for any any and all of these players. All of these players had their Tops contract that they offered to every one of the players to get a baseball card. And so each and basically the Tops made it so that if you signed a contract with Tops, you couldn't have your picture taken for any other company. You couldn't have a baseball card with any other company. So they they fought it out in court so so to basically say that you know you can't have exclusive rights like baseball card baseball players should be able to sign and be endorsed by as many companies as they want as they want to you know that yeah. that shouldn't be a you, you can't contractually obligate a player to only be endorsed by one specific company right the players should be able to decide right. what they want to, you know, be, who they want to be endorsed by and who they don't. Right. Well, and also from a monetary standpoint, if you're only being endorsed by one company, you're making less money. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's true. You know, and those, the, especially those, the bigger names, the bigger players, you know, those guys, if you get a con, those guys are trying to get contracts from as many, as many, companies as possible as they can can, of course because you want you want to get paid for what you do right you know and especially you want to capitalize on the popularity and also the the uh, skill that you have put your entire life into well and just like any sport it's it's not an old man's thing you know it's a young man's game unless of course you're what tim tebow yeah yeah he apparently can go forever yeah, I guess so. Not Tim Tebow. What is it? Tom Brady? Tom Brady. There we go. I was like, Tim Sorry, Tebow. Sorry, I don't know all the names of the football people, but. I'm going to apologize as well. <laughs> you know what? I have other interests. You do. You do. And you are, you are a master of your craft in a lot of things. And you know what? As far as all sports concerned, if 
one of my boys isn't playing, I don't feel obligated to watch. That's fair. Yep. That is fair. And I love watching my boys play, but... Oh, well, it's yep. always fun. They're not playing, so I'm not watching. Yeah. Catherine doesn't watch me play anymore. <laughs> <laughs> she, uh, so I, I, I'm a very active person. I like to run around. Um, I, I don't like sitting in one spot unless I'm talking on a podcast. <laughs> and so I, you know, I, I've stayed playing sports and so on and so forth throughout my life. A lot I of your games there were like weird times. Yeah. Well, now because as, because now I'm a quote unquote adult, I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, all of my game times are at very odd hours. They'll be at like 8.30 or 9.30 because, you know, most of the clubs and places where you play, they're all geared towards kids because <laughs> kids and their parents are the ones who usually pay to, you know, pay the most to, to use the fields. And, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't realize until I was older how much it is to rent a field for an hour. <laughs> and shocker. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that stuff's expensive. Yep, it gets up there. It does. Yeah, and also it sucks to try to coordinate with uh, 10 other adults and their schedules. That's true. Yeah. Especially if those other adults have kids and other you know because they you have know, kids, obligations, so on, so work and all that. It's it's hard to get eleven adults in one place at a time if it's not for work. It's true. But anyways, folks, we are out of time again. 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 Wow. Yeah. It goes fast. It goes quick. It goes fast. But I and you know, it's interesting. I'm I'm listening to a lot of what Aram says because I don't really I don't know. I mean I bought a lot of baseball cards for him because, you know, that's what he likes and that's mm-hmm. what moms do. But, you know, as far as the history of it, I'm learning quite a bit. Yeah. Well, and a lot of the history that I'm getting, by the way, I'm not, I'm going to give credit where credit is due. The majority of the history that I am, I'm reading this from is from uh, allvintagecards.com. They have a really great synopsis of the history of baseball. Um, another great source is newsday.com. They have a really great history of baseball cards. And, um, I, through through doing this research, learned have learned so much about the history myself. Yeah, you know I've collected cards for so long, but I, I haven't I haven't always known the history of the cards. I've mostly just known the history of the cards that I have. Right, right. Yeah. Well, but, that's I think a lot of people too. I mean, it's you know, you know what you have doesn't right. mean you know everything about it. Of course, of course. But anyways, folks. Um, I have to go, and I appreciate you guys. Stay hip. Absolutely. And humble. All right. Bye now. Bye.